0: Live Sound Bootcamp, brought to you by Rational Acoustics, developer of SMART, the industry's leading sound system measurement and optimization platform. Welcome to another episode of Live Sound Bootcamp. Um, I'm your host, Ryan John with me as always, Brendan Draper. Unfortunately, Joe Santarpia can't be with us today, but we have a guest host whom we'll introduce in just a moment. Uh, today, though, the topic is uh, continuing down the line check. We're going to talk about Toms, and I don't mean like the Hanks, you know, the Hardy variety. I mean... Yorks. In, what's that? Yorks. Ooh, Tom York. That's a good one. It's even got an H in it. That's weird. Um, mm-hmm. What else is there? Tom Cruise? Thomas Edison? Tom and Jerry? Tom and Tom, Jerry. Tom, Tom and Tom, Jerry? Tom, Tom. Yeah. Tom Tom. Tom Tom Club. But we're not talking about those ones. We're talking about the ones you hit. And I guess I still need to say, we're not talking about those ones. Um, we're talking about the drums. Uh, so uh, I guess I guess it's the right time to introduce our, our guest host. So our guest host is a drummer I've actually done a ton of shows with. Um, in fact, I think our first show together was... Us trying to figure out the set while 8,000 screaming teenagers were standing in front of us, right? I, th- I think that's actually how we met, was on stage when this thing, whole thing yeah. was happening, right? Uh, so, welcome, yeah. E-Man.
1: Hey. Happy to be here.
0: And uh, I guess and we're going to view E-Man as our uh, resident kind of drum expert, being as a uh, that's kind of what you do. I mean, do, do you want to give me a little bit of backstory here at you, man? Like what, what is, what's, what's, what's your day uh, job? Like what's, what's your thing?
1: mm Yeah. I play drums. That's all I've ever done. I've actually never had a day job per se in the like American dream sense of a day job. Um, I'm in my mid thirties and like most of my peers in my, of my age, uh, we work a lot. We play hard and, uh, Everyone's going I get to hang out with my friends. That's kind uh, of it. Any, any, particular artists, and,
0: yeah. any particular artists you'd call out to oh, play with? Oh, I guess they matter.
1: Like that? Um, yeah, that, that might matter. <laughs> uh, yeah, that might matter. Uh, yeah, I've been touring with a guy for the past, I don't know, five, six, seven, seems like longer than that, years. Uh, a guy named Andy Grammer, who you've worked with with us as well. Saved my mm-hmm. butt a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And um, I've toured with the, uh, Cody Simpson I've done a bunch of cool session work, a bunch of TV film stuff. And uh, yeah, good times. And,
0: and now you have your own studio too.
1: Yeah. Uh, we, My partner and I bought a house, I don't know, five years ago. And uh, the, only, the only thing I was really looking for was a detached garage so that I can, hmm. you know, put a bunch of drums in it and hit them as hard as possible. And that timeline, you know, nobody knew what the timeline was. So... Uh, I, my it, dad, it kind of worked this. out when the whole
0: pandemic hit that you had this. Space. Well, yeah, my,
1: my, my dad and I built this, we built out the studio like three years ago. Uh, and it was just studs. It was just, you know, a garage from the fifties and thankfully mm-hmm. nobody else decided to do anything with it. So, you know, fixed it up, got a bunch of drywall in here, a bunch of panels, a bunch of drums, some pretty good outboard gear. Uh, it did not start out that way, but you know, <laughs> now we're here and, uh, <laughs> During the pandemic, I was not one of those people running to Sweetwater, thankfully. Um, I was kind of ready to go.
0: It's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, it's Brendan, I mean, you've got a kind of simile scenario, just uh, less kind pretty, Not right? Yeah, it's pretty ugly, you know.
2: It's not my... Uh, <laughs> I haven't prettied it up. It's kind of just a few panels on the wall. But I did, uh, during the pandemic, do a bunch of, like, cable hangers, because that was, like, my main source of, like frustration was you know digging through milk crates for the cables you need and when i go out and do my own shows like being able to just grab them off the wall so you know i've got it i i'm building a bunch of frames for panels right now and very nice i have some like more funds for awesome acoustic treatment i'll have that done yeah
0: very nice man yeah the the cable management is something i need to sort out right now they're literally all over the floor because i haven't figured out where they're going (laughs) yet (laughs) but um so let's let's talk about the 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 next input in our line check so toms um it's funny because originally the next input on our line check was going to be hi-hat right because normally you go kick snare hat but yeah brendan you know i do this i do this weird i do all the actual physical drums first and then all the cymbals and i mean i i do that now too yeah yeah i mean to me it makes sense. sense And then you keep all the metal together, if you will, right? But um, We don't have
2: Joe here to go against us on this. Right, I don't have Joe <laughs> here
0: to yell at me, basically. This was going to be the, the hi-hat and overheads and cymbals episode, but since Joe couldn't make it, I was like, you know what? Fuck that guy. <laughs> so, all right, we're, we're going to talk about Toms. Um, I'll be honest, when it comes to doing studio recording, I find floor Toms the hardest things to record well. I don't know how you guys feel Interesting. about this.
1: Um, I'll I will differ. I will be the 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 third voice here. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Bryn? I mean,
2: I mean, I find them difficult in the live scenario too. I mean, yeah, in 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 studio recording, they and for both for me, they kind of get lost in the in the mix a little bit. It's hard to make them defined and what you want them to be. Mm. Like, right. if you want them to be present and like and uh punchy and like have character it's hard it's sometimes it's really difficult to get it and sometimes i feel like i don't know what i could do you know to get this where i want it to be and and i think that's just the nature of the drums that like are coming at me sometimes they're great sounding sometimes they're you know
0: just floppy and weird Um, Yeah. And and on top of that, though, if you're talking live, you've got to deal with signal bleed, right? And your snare bleeding into it and gates and stuff like that. And if you're talking about something like a floor tom specifically, right? You tend to want a good amount of low end out of it, right? Mm -hmm. But there's so much low end bleed on stage. The the bass amp bleeds on stage, literally the subs from the main PA bleeds onto stage. Mm -hmm. And then you've got this loud snare drum next to it. So getting the gating dialed in is like always quite a task difficult and and i mean the low end stuff is probably
2: what the microphone's going to pick up off access the most too you know right like when you right. look at
0: those like mic charts or whatever they're called yeah you so know, from you like a it it pure signal end. level thing there's going to be lots of like low end bleeding in and that's going to you know raise the level up a lot yeah. weirdly i also so often have problems with uh like the fan that's on a drummer pointing at (laughs) things like the floor tom and like (laughs) like just making the gates kind of open and close (laughs) you know that makes sense
1: have uh, speaking about live stuff do you guys ever uh use like the rolling triggers or any of the triggers to open up gates or whatnot that's new to me over the last couple of years um that i think you brought on ryan last minute to a tour that you came on with us and then our current guy sebastian has kept Um, and I like that because I hate gates. As a drummer, the last thing I ever want to do is hit that threshold, because then I know the velocity for me of what that threshold is, and sometimes I need to play that quiet.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it actually forces you to limit your playing to be that velocity and higher, right? It it does. As a sound engineer, I never want to do. I never want to be like, here's a wall. You can't do anything past that wall, right?
1: Exactly. And Mm -hmm. I've definitely run into front of house guys, and I mean that in quotations who don't understand that because it's, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, every night should be different in my volume because every room is different, and every stage has a different frequency response, and every water bag or person in the crowd... (laughs) will absorb different amounts of that. (laughs) So, like, uh, I never got that. And my thing for the longest time was hit as hard as possible. Who cares? And then I realized, oh, maybe today I can get away with hitting the cymbals louder because there's this, you know, 40-foot ceiling in this warehouse. And my snare drum actually needs to be a lot softer because that's just going to roll right through that concrete floor and hit everybody. So yeah thankfully the the gates help
0: (laughs) so before we get to things like gating and all that i I mean this is the same question we had in the previous two episodes right the first thing from an engineer standpoint and from a musician standpoint is like what are you actually looking for sound wise out of that drum Mm -hmm. right if we're talking a metal band you know very clicky really short decays and floor toms they tend to be kind of just basically extra kick drums right yeah if you're talking uh you know mellower or jazz or whatever typically uh longer ring less uh impact tone uh more note if you will uh that usually means things like coated heads a bunch of other stuff right but you know the first decision i guess is what are we trying to get out of a tom and then once you've made that decision, and it's really not just an engineer's decision, it's it's a musician plus engineer kind of figuring this out together, right? Mm-hmm. Once you've made that decision, then we kind of move forward with all the steps that follow that. So, you know, in terms of head choice uh, and tuning, you know, how does that conversation usually go with you, E-Man, with, with you and an engineer as you're trying to figure out what it is you're going to be using for any given tour?
1: Yeah, well, I think it even starts before that. I think it starts with the musical director or the MD uh, or sorry, or the art and the artist um, you, you, I think people often forget. And sometimes, you know, when you get a new front of house person or a new monitor person or a new drum tech um, oftentimes, if you're playing with an artist that has a catalog of music that expands more than 18 months, you're going to be playing vastly different sounding and stylistically sounding things. Oh, yeah,
0: that's why you should have, like, seven snare drums.
1: Well, this is actually the counterintuitive part about that. People think, like, oh, I need to cover all these basses and have all these drums available, all these cymbals available to me. And I think that there's way more freedom and limitation when it comes to that. Mm. So, for example, with Andy, you know, at any time we can go something from like twenty music before I even was around. So like twenty ten, twenty eleven, which is like very singer songwritery, to something that came out a month ago and it's trap. Right. And I have right. to cover that. And
0: production heavy. And yeah. it's
1: super production heavy. And so for me it's always like, okay, I just need my drums to sit somewhere tonally where they'll just kinda work. You mm. know? And if I need to tune down a snare in between songs, totally if I need to tune up a snare between songs, instead of having four inputs that are never being used. Mm. Um, so as a drummer, I'm always like, hum- <laughs> the least I amount mean, of inputs is the best thing for me.
2: Right. Yeah, and I mean, you don't really see that at shows where like they bring out different toms for like different songs, right? Yeah. It's usually, I mean, drummers usually play in the same kit the yeah, whole time, even it, with the snares, too. I mean, not that I've, you know, on bigger tours, I'm sure... There's something, uh, some amount of that. but
1: Yeah, I've you know. seen, I've definitely seen and been on tours where the the drummer for another band was swapping out snares um, in between songs or, you know, there was a chunk of songs that needed that like super gushy mm. snare, but, you know, that's just him. For me, it's like I want one very low sounding drum when medium can kind of do everything drum. And if I absolutely have to, something really high, talking snare drums. And and toms, right. I try to limit, my, limit myself to two just because it takes up a lot of room to play. And if I'm only going to be using, let's say, a 10-inch tom for one thing, mm-hmm. uh, no one's going to know the difference, really, except for me. So I'll just get a 12 and a 16, call it a day.
0: Hey, you can always do a 12 and push the stick into it when you hit it. <laughs> tune it up manually right (laughs) hey i know guys that do that but but basically the gist is it's like yeah you could do you know a thousand different drums but it's not necessarily going to get you farther you know you could have you could have you know a million different bits and they all kind of like cover each individual tonal thing but it's 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 a bit of a diminishing returns i guess is is a good way to say it right yeah and
1: you know there's so many accessories and products nowadays for drums that you can, you know, get the Ringo t Tel thing in a heartbeat, you know, um, and that's a whole new sound thing, and that's, you know, one patch away for you guys to hit, and now everything's EQ'd, plugins, whatever you want, to to make that sound work. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean,
0: and and you made a good point, right? The conversation's not really just between the musician and the engineer; it is, you know a conversation with the artist it is a conversation with the md and like getting everyone's impression on what it is we're trying to achieve and then once you've got that figured out then it gets down to you know the remainder of these things like how to achieve it because we already now know what it is we want to do Mm. so you know if we were doing well the simpler way to ask this question is you know from a drummer perspective, what are the differences between the various head options? And we'll take the simple stuff. We'll take you know clear coated, uh, single ply, double ply. I guess.
1: Okay. Um, regardless of the the company um, that you, yeah, let's let's try yeah. and remove that because then yeah. it gets
0: way 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 too
1: deep. Regardless of that, um, you you basically have what like you and you, we'll
0: do this from the perspective of toms too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So uh, as far as toms go, you have uh, single ply which is one piece of plastic, double ply which is two. Sometimes there's oil in between, sometimes there's just air, sometimes there's nothing. And more recently you have um uh, thicker versions of that same principle. So you can get like a very thick single ply head which would be the same thickness as a double ply head, head, but feels the same way as a single ply head. Um same thing with same thing that applies to the uh Uh, double ply stuff so when you you also have you know the coated stuff you have stuff with rings around it and i'm pretty sure you guys probably talked about this with the bass drum and the snare drum it's pretty much the same there's no reason why you can't have the this the the snare drum and the floor tom have the same head like i actually do that in the studio all the time because the thinner the head is the more slap you get out of it technically and you actually get a little more low end because there that that piece of plastic it's not really
0: dampening itself yeah
1: it can kind of move a little more um, right so th- yeah those are kind of the options i tend to lean to co- to coated stuff just mm-hmm. because they they're it's like adding a, a ever so slightly thicker layer of something and it dampens <laughs> it a little bit and it lasts a little longer mm. so yep. like a coated single ply yeah yeah. yeah i mean on tour i probably would would use like a it's a double ply it's called the Remo emperor and mm-hmm. probably use a, a coded version of that um First. though there was one tour where i got fun and used a cs dot which is called the black dot mm-hmm. um and that just kind of had a very honky tubby sound but there was a bunch of music in that set that was like super tom heavy so right adjusting uh i don't know if i'm getting ahead of myself here but like no, no, Being able to run it. those toms through, to, like, waves torque or something, now you got a whole other sound, which is great.
0: Yeah, detune them like mad, tune them to yeah. the song, tune them up. Down, yeah, you can do all sorts yeah. of crazy stuff. But but generally, though, I find that coded heads seem to have more of the note of the drum. They have a little bit more kind of body, if you will. Whereas clear heads, they tend to be tons of attack. Right? Yeah, and that's, get- that's cool for certain things, right? So if you want something that's got a ton of attack, clear heads works um but coded seems to have a little bit more note tonality body it feels a little bit more like a drum rather than a punch in the face
1: (laughs) that's awesome Um, i like that
0: and then you know when it comes to single ply and double ply i mean it it aligns with what you just said like to be honest i actually think single ply tends to sound better but in the context of of touring and you're doing you know five six shows a week you're gonna start burning through your heads really quickly and you know this stuff adds up. It's not, not cheap.
1: No, even, no. you know, even with the sort of endorsement or discount, you know, you're still, you, somebody's got to pay for it. <laughs> so, so it's, yeah. it's going to cost yeah. something for someone.
0: Uh, so, so from, from the perspective of an engineer, right? If, if, if I heard you, you know, hit, hit a rack Tom and, and it comes out in front of a house and I go, Oh, this has got a gnarly ring or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, how would you want me to communicate that to you? If there was something that I, w- I was hearing that I was not, Happy with like what's what's the way that you think translates that kind of conversation well uh, to to a drummer? You know, I
1: I would start by saying uh, when you say ring, what do you mean? Is it boing? Is it bong? Is it mm? is is it is it feeding back in your like? There's so many adjectives that one can use. So right. I would say Ryan, what what kind of a ring is it? Mm. And what would right. Ryan say?
0: Well, I mean, it all depends. I mean, <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> bonk. The- <laughs> the,
0: the, I mean, you're right. You're right, though, because right, all those different kinds of tones that come out of the drum kind of command different solutions, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, often, um, uh, I notice, like, especially on fly dates when you're not on tour, right, and you're flying, everyone's tired, <laughs> and you you get to the, to the the sound check, and you know you've probably already rung out the PA. Uh, every it's basically getting level. That's what I feel like, and you load your show file and. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we hope that that's okay. So then I hit the rack tom, and you go, hey, man, that sounds like shit. And I go, oh, okay. Um, I would immediately, before even changing the tuning, take my in-ears out, hit it again, and say, like, mm, I think you're crazy. It actually and, sounds good. And listen good. to what it
0: actually sounds like yeah, in front of you.
1: this is what it sounds like in front of me. And then I would immediately look at the mic placement. Because mm. if that thing's pointed at the bearing edge, it's just going to sound like, boom. It's just going to sound terrible. So I would say, Hey, let me hit it again. Slightly move that mic. So it's hitting pointed at the middle of the, (laughs) of the head and then say like, how's that 90% of the time? That's it.
0: And and the engineer's like, Oh, you did a great job tuning it better.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't do anything. I
2: think this (laughs) kind of comes around to why floor toms are hard to get at too, because you know, you got this, the same, usually you're using the, you know in the club gig. You're doing the same clip on mics on all the toms, right? Yeah the center of the floor tom is like four to six more inches away from that mic than the rack
1: tom, right? Yeah. Yeah. So so you you have to like point it further away, but then you get more bleed. It's again, it's diminishing returns. Yeah.
0: It's way closer to the bearing edge, no matter what you do. Totally. Totally. And you know, back, back to the, the ringing thing, right? So there, there's a few things that, that come out of that, right? And, and the mic placement does, exacerbate it or diminishes it right so yeah when it comes to you know a tom that's ringy and i'm going to put that in air quotes right because as you said yeah. that means a lot of things you know is that Ding. that the tom itself the note is lasting too long is it that mm. it has like a gnarly overtone or is it you know uh, i don't know there's, there's a lot of other options right so yeah your options you know for Let's let's just keep this simple. Quick solutions there, right? Could be dampening or it could be a tuning change. Right. Absolutely. So if we were to jump if we were to jump into the 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 tuning change, because this is probably the more complicated one. Yeah. You know, um let's say you hit a rack, Tom, and I'm hearing a pretty gnarly overtone, right? You take out your in ears, you take a listen to it, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is there, right? Yeah. Which, which that, that's way you're, uh, that's your way of breaking down is this like an engineering side problem or is it a source side problem, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. So if, if you popped out your in ears and you're like, oh, yeah, there is a gnarly overtone, what's, what, like, what's, um? I don't know, what would be one of the first things you might jump into to approach it? Uh,
1: I would. I would uh, actually check the bottom head because that's going to uh, inherently ring longer, right? Mm -hmm. So you hit a tom, the waveforms are going nuts, and then the very last thing that's going to go nuts is the bottom head. Mm -hmm. And that's going to continue to ring because you have a bass drum in front of it, and that's getting bounced back into it. You have all this stuff that's bouncing back into it versus the top head, usually there's like nothing above you. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, you hit it, the sound dissipates, but that bottom head is still going nuts. So I would most likely grab a piece of gaff tape and throw it on the bottom.
0: So dampen, dampen the, the bottom,
1: yeah. or I would tune it slightly down or up depending. Cause sometimes because i'm lazy i don't check the bottom <laughs> head and my tech you know is running a bunch of other things because nobody has one real job and so <laughs> you know uh you hit the time you kind of get it to a comfortable spot and you go oh yeah that's weird to either tune it up or tune it down uh that also changes the pitch so then you have to mess with the top a bit and you know right right but, but you, the you tr- do whatever tr- truth you is, can. It's c- quite
0: a bit of quite a quite a bit of complexity in terms of like adjusting it from a tuning perspective oh yeah
1: mm-hmm. yeah um, um, and, and then you know if, if that starts to play with the snare, and then that starts to play with the floor tom, and you got a whole you got well, that, a whole. Well, that, that's of worms. another
0: thing, right? Is that you've got many drums, and they kind of need to work with one another as well, right? Absolutely. And so if you hit if you hit a rack tom, and all of a sudden it makes your snare start resonating, that's a problem. Same yeah. thing if you hit a floor tom, and it starts making your snare start resonating. You get yeah. all these you know rumbling sound or you know the buzzing of the the snares itself. That that kind of stuff doesn't work. So you got to be aware of um, of how they work with one another. Absolutely. You know, one one funny trick that a drummer had shown me once was uh, just putting a heap of cotton balls inside the drum.
1: Yeah, that helps. Uh,
0: and then, then when you hit the, the tom, the cotton balls kind of jump, they and then they land again, and they dampen that uh, resonant head a bit.
1: Yeah, that's it. It looks
0: weird. It looks super <laughs> weird to look at, but it, it totally works.
1: Well, that's why you use coated heads, so you don't know what's going on. Yeah, then no one can see what's inside it.
0: No one can see that you put a very small person inside there. That's just holding. Um, okay, so you know tuning. Yeah, that's that's a bit of a rabbit hole, but you yeah. know that it gives gives us a little bit. But what about dampening? Right. So we've we've talked about putting some dampening on the resonant head, mm-hmm. yeah, um, batter head. You know how oh. often do you dampen that, and and what's your usual go-to?
2: Yeah, yeah. Like, what's it for? You know, like what's the uh, the reasoning for dampening the batter head usually?
1: Yeah. Uh, it, for me, it's it's a uh, it's two part dampening the, the batter head or the the striking head. Uh, it's feel because a lot mm. of times I want to tune something up higher, but I want it to feel a little more weighty, or I want I want it to feel like. Uh, Less bouncy is the best way to say it.
0: Right. So when it's tuned higher, it's like it. Yeah, it it's going to rebound, stick back the rebound a is bit gonna more, right? Back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So adding some dampening kind of just reduces the, the rebound, but keeps the higher tone. Correct. Interesting. Okay. Cool. Um,
1: and then uh, also sound. You know, sometimes with the, especially with with maple drums, I've noticed for me when you tune them up higher, you start getting more overtones because that. Right. Want. It's a softer wood, so it wants to flexes a little. Yeah, it wants you want it wants to hear more of of the overtones, and so your one trick I find is that if you hit a drum with your finger, if you got some weird ring, and then just go to the complete opposite side of where you just hit it. So if you hit dead center, dead center to that would be you know either to the right or to the left would be the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. You put your other finger there and then hit it with your left one. Chances are on either side of that or top and bottom, that's where that node is because that's what's actually happening. You're hearing this weird node, and you can got
0: it. So you're, you're kind of muting the resonance across one exactly.
1: Dimension. And then you find, okay, this is where it's like, wow, that's like, what is it? Toms is usually what, like 240, 250, where it's just kind of going, and so yeah, you just like <laughs> you, you grab a piece of gaff, throw it right on that spot, mm-hmm. it's gone. Or, if you can, move the microphone to that spot, because that will choke the drum at that point as well.
0: That, that's if it's a clip-on. If
1: it's a clip-on, yeah. Mm.
0: Right. You know, and, th- and that's a good point to make, right, is that clip-on mics add weight typically to the rim of the drum. And by adding weight to the rim of the drum, you're kind of bending the rim, especially if you're using the, the clip-ons where it's like a metal clamp that actually clamps onto the rim. Oh, You're yeah. definitely bending the rim a little bit, at which point you're detuning it a little bit.
1: Well, and and that bottom part of that uh, that clip usually clips onto the bottom part of and the it's head. it's usually
0: pushing on the bottom of the head, yeah. So it's
1: mm-hmm. pushing it up, which means it's it's causing the head to get uneven, yeah. which, you know, it's, it's often a problem you, you see. Like, you hit a time, you're like, what the heck? You take the, the mic off and you go oh there it is <laughs> so you have to yeah. find another way to mount it
0: that's that's a good point to make right is that when we stick mics on some of these things we're actually potentially kind of ruining the sound by or helping or
1: helping because you know yeah. m- again my tech joey who's our also our playback guy joey mutuaka amazing great drummer he can tune stuff the way i like to tune stuff which is the best thing about a tech um he you know he'll get there and he knows i like like a certain type of dampening on my rack toms and my snares and my kicks i'll hit the rack tom and go to like oh there's it's a lot today and i'll take right. my stuff off i'll i'll hit it again and it's like oh there it is because you know whatever mic was on was enough
0: basically he's saying it's my fault
1: <laughs> so yeah especially <laughs> if you use those giant hiles <laughs> hey,
0: I haven't used those in a long time. <laughs> They're kidding. the
1: best ones.
0: They're so nice. They are. They are great. You know, it's it's funny you speak about that though, because um, you know, one thing, particularly in snares, I hate clipping things on to the snare drum. Right? Yeah. Uh, one one because if the snare ever breaks and the drummer wants to swap it. I don't want my mics to go with it. Yep. So, you know, I clip my mics onto the snare stand itself and then have it, you know, reach over if I can. Yes. Uh, and I've done that a bunch when I've got uh, rack toms that are in a snare holder. Yeah. Right? And then you can mount it off the, the, the holder itself and reach it up and over. Because from my perspective, I've found that that's much worse, the, the whole clip-on thing, for racks than it is for floors. For floors, yeah. it seems to affect it a lot less. Mm. Um, but also, for floors, you can get away with actually putting a mic on a stand. You know, it's a little <laughs> yeah. bit less complicated, whereas racks, uh, putting a mic on a stand is like kind of complicated. Yeah. It's like, do I use a tall stand? Do I use a short
2: stand and just extend it all the way? Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. Exactly. It it, it gets kind of crazy. Uh, but, you know, along those lines, I also hate using stands on stage because it's just stuff for someone to knock over. And someone will inevitably knock it or it'll move, all those yep. things. So if, if I can clip on more then the not, I will, I'll go for it. But
2: the, the, you know, the snare drum thing, totally. Like I have a moratorium on using clips on snare drums (laughs) because (laughs) especially if you're doing
0: like three bands in a night at a club,
2: like there's no point. And well, the that. other thing is, yeah, yeah. is, if
0: you're doing many bands a night, right, and you've clipped something onto the snare, at the end of the night, the, that drummer might just take a snare with him, or not Not at the end of the night, between the bands. Between the bands, yes. And that mic just gets dropped on the floor. Exactly. And you you have to find it underneath the other drum kit that just got put on top of it, right? Or if you're using the same mic for that as you are for like some toms or something, now you're like, I don't know which one's which anymore. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, I've, I've definitely
0: fun. gone through that. It's it's pretty pretty crazy. So, I've
1: definitely... Uh, put them on the ground and said, good luck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> especially to the, to the guys that are like, your snare sounds like shit. And they go, we'll I'll make it sound better. Um, yeah.
0: But, um, so speaking of mics, yeah. Um, Let's let's talk about mic positioning on Tom's first and then maybe we can dig into like some specific mics.
1: Ooh, well I wanna learn. So I'm gonna sit back on this one. Because okay. I well, I had, don't know anything about this.
0: <laughs> well you made you made a good point, E man, and and that's the point of where this mic is pointing affects the sound significantly. Right? So I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out what I do with with Tom Mics, and then Brendan, why don't you tell me what you do with Tom Mike's and then we can see how this all aligns. Sure. Right. So mics, as I mentioned, you know, I do prefer using clips uh, if, I, if I can, uh, rather than not, because then no one can move it accidentally, well, unless, you know, whatever. It's not going to accidentally get moved. It's going to intentionally get moved by E-Man when he goes, um, what do you mean the drum sounds like crap? It's all your fault. And then he's going <laughs> to move my mic, and it's going to be fine. But, you know, there won't, f- for the most part, it's not going to fall down. It's not going to get, you know, bumped by a guitar player who's jumping around like a maniac, right? Okay. So there's that. Um, second, Another thing to pay attention to significantly is, is bleed, right? And I don't want my Tom mics to have too much snare drum. I don't want them to have too much of a cymbal, right? So you got to be aware of the polar pattern of your mic itself. So a lot of the clip-ons, they're cardioid. They pick up what's in front of them, nothing behind them, right? Then you've got things like beta 98s. Those things have a lobe directly behind them, right? So it's a little tighter in front but it also picks up what's right behind it. So where that becomes super valuable is if you have two toms on a drum kit in front of the drummer, you tend to have a cymbal just to the left of one of them and just to the right of the other, right? So if you can get a pair of 98s where those cymbals are directly in the null, um, you actually end up in a better spot because those those mics don't have to be under the cymbals, uh, between the cymbals and the tom. They can be kind of in the middle of the kit but the null for the mics is pointed at where the cymbals are, so you end up with much cleaner tom sounds.
1: And and the ninety eight is that tiny sure guy, right?
0: Yeah, it's a little mm. clip on guy, the right? Bendy one. Yeah, the little one with the bendy arm. Yeah, yeah. So you know, being aware of the mic's polar pattern should inform you as to where it can go in terms of like bleed, Got right? It. And then comes figuring out how to get the best tone out of the drum, right? Because If I've got a great tone out of the drum, but tons of bleed, it's not actually that helpful from a live standpoint because I'm going to end up with so much cymbal so that even if I EQ things, it ruins half the rest of the kit. Mm -hmm. So once we've kind of figured out that bit of isolation, then we go for where is this mic positioned in relation to the head and rim, and what is it pointed at? So I tend to go by the three-finger rule, which is basically, I don't know, what is that, like an inch and a half, two inches or something? Mm. So I want it about that far away from the head up away from the head and then from there it's about how can I best angle this so that it hits right where the stick hits and that's what I'm typically going for and if I aim across to where the stick hits you tend to get a good amount of note a good amount of ring it's just a pretty good balance the more downwards and straight into the head you point it the more attack you get but less of that um, you know note and and kind of general drum sound. But also, once you start pointing it straight down, you just get the weird resonance that is happening Mm -hmm. at the edge of the head. So there's like this balance there. If you go all the way across the drum, you tend to get a pretty even balanced sound, but you're also kind of pointing it at lots of other stuff. The more down you go, the more isolation you have of that drum because you're pointing it more at the drum, but eventually you get to a spot where you have the weird resonance that's happening at the edge of the head there. So... I typically pick the balance that seems to work with the amount of bleed and the the tonality of the drum. So for smaller toms, I feel like you can get away more with it pointing down at the drum itself. And since they don't have a long decay, it kind of works to get a little bit more attack out of them. For the bigger drums, I tend to go more for pointing almost all the way across it, not even necessarily at the center, but like at the opposite side. Mm. And that seems to work to give me more of a note out of it maybe a little bit less attack but like as i said for me floor toms are some of the hardest things to capture in a good way mm-hmm. so if i can get that note but um you know i i, I don't know that, that, that's where i seem to kind of end up <laughs> brendan mm-hmm. how does this like align with where your head i mean it's this? really
2: <laughs> similar i mean yeah i like i try and get it a little bit above the drum like you said and and yeah i point out i point at where the stick hits hits the drum usually um, this talk about like the floor tom being super hard to get has made me kind of like reconsider. I'm like maybe I should just like try and use a stand. Like you know I'm doing a show tonight. And I'm like maybe I should try and try a stand and try moving the mi- like actually put a <laughs> mic on a stand and move it like closer to the center of the floor tom just to see how that goes. You know like maybe I mean I see a lot of guys using like kick drum mics on floor toms too, and I'm always like hmm I don't I don't know maybe I mean maybe it's good you know maybe it's But it does align
0: with you know the conversation we we're having earlier it's about what you're looking for yeah if you want it to sound like another kick drum with you know a slightly higher tuning mm-hmm. then totally go for that and it'll have that kind of like crazy punch, mm-hmm. punch. yeah you know
1: um I I don't have any experience really making stuff live but in the studio I tend to um lean to using condensers opposed to dynamic microphones because mm-hmm. i'm able to hit them a little softer mm-hmm. and i get more transient whereas like a, a dynamic microphone you kind of have to get into it for it to you know react um at least I, with the I stuff agree i a have percent with the I agree stuff i have you know so you know
0: the, but so so that's got a positive and a negative to it right since a dynamic physically has a heavier capsule it takes more energy to move it right And in some ways, that also means that a lot of the other bleed stuff happening around is not going to move it. Symbols, for the most part, aren't going to make that thing kind of kick off, right? Whereas a condenser mic, it is a super lightweight, smaller capsule, for the most part. And by having it there, you know, near a drum, yeah, you know, the drum hit itself is going to move it a bunch, but also a lot of the other stuff has enough energy to move that capsule. Yeah. So... A lot of the reason I think people lean towards dynamics, specifically live, is because it makes the bleed issue a little bit simpler to deal with. More
1: manageable. Right.
0: Right? And if you have less bleed, you can do extreme EQ things. Right. But Uh. in the context of studio, your hope is that you can actually kind of like sort everything out and you you don't have the bleed of like, you know, 50,000 people screaming at you. (laughs) You don't have the bleed of the PA kicking off at like 110, (laughs) you know? So. You can get away with more sensitive microphones in order to do those things, and I agree with you a million percent. Whenever I use really nice condensers, um, my my favorite, I'll be honest, is now the new Earthworks one. That new Earthworks uh, little clip on. Really. The moment I put that on, I don't need to add top end to get attack because the mic's transient response is mm. already so good that it's just there. Cool. Um, and I'll admit, like, when it comes to dynamic mics, when I put them on, I always want more of that, like, stick attack and more mm-hmm. of that clarity. Come so on, I end 5K. up doing kind of
1: extreme EQs. <laughs> Scoop that boy away up there.
0: Yeah, my EQs look like a like a Happy Meal, you know? It's giant, like a smiley face. A giant high shelf, big old dip in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, you know,
1: like, I, drums just sound like crap when you put a microphone on them. And so, like, there's a bunch of, for whatever reason, I don't understand, microphones like to hear the worst part of a drum. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of how it goes,
0: right? Mm. No, but also, you know, when we listen to drums, we don't listen to them from an inch and a half away. We listen to them from feet away. And honestly, that's where they sound the best, right? Mm. But we're sticking the mic an inch and a half away because that's our way of reducing the bleed and reducing the extra crap that's in it. So what we're doing is we're sticking it an inch and a half away and then hoping we get the sound that is like a foot and a half away. Yeah. So, you know, everything we're doing in between that microphone and it coming out of the speakers is trying to compensate for that weird distance thing we've done. Mm -hmm.
1: Wow.
2: And and Ryan, oh. I think this brings up a good point. Like, do you, a question for you, like, you, I remember you saying you get a lot of your snare sound from your overheads. Do you yes. also apply that to your toms as well?
0: I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, since you've got that distance, um, you're not really going to get a heap of low end out of your toms from your overheads, mm-hmm. right? Snare drums, they're, they're really loud. You know, they've got a lot going on and so you can get a good amount of the sound there, but, especially floor Toms, you're not going to yeah. get the low end up in your overheads, but you might get a little bit of that extra you know, room-ish sound. And that distance that you've added in there kind of just makes it sound a little bit more natural. So if you use your overheads for cymbals only, that's fine, right? And it's, it's easy. But if you choose to use your overheads to also augment your Tom sound, you can do things like maybe take out a little bit of the top end from your Tom close mics, because you'll get a bit of it from the overheads there, and then use your close mics for like the boominess, the low end, like the 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 kind of thickness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by doing that, you might end up being able to clean up some cymbal bleed that's coming through your tom mics, right? Because cool. often you know floor tom mics are right next to a twenty-two inch sweet ride or something like that that is just <laughs> loud. Yeah. I mean, it's great when
2: the the back of the mic is just like. Touching the symbol, so you get a little dampening on the symbol, right? I mean, Amen. <laughs> hey how do you feel about that? Yeah, um, there you go.
1: You know, it's if you if you play a twenty two inch sweet ride, you should that should be happening to you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you should get dampened by any possible thing. No, um, yeah, it's it's so funny because I don't ever think about these things in a live situation. You know, I just kind of show up um, and and play. And then if you do run into some sort of honk, (laughs) you know, you, you figure it out. And most, most likely it's not the microphone and the front of house person. It's usually the drum.
0: No, it's definitely the front of house person. Yes. That's probably the monitor engineer at this point, you know? Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Brendan, you do monitors. It's definitely his fault. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Um, And you know, it goes, I don't don't know if you guys have spoken about this, but sometimes it, it, uh, I feel like, the transparency of what's happening on stage doesn't always translate. Um, and, uh, a lot of times that communication is more important than any of this, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like if, 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 there's no clear direction or picture of where this thing should be or how it should be painted or how the cookie should be made, it almost doesn't make sense. Like mm. why are, why are we here? The whole purpose right. is that we're a team make this thing work Um, let's not have a shitty sounding drum set.
0: Well, I I think we've mentioned this a few times as we go through, um, you know, these episodes is that communication is so important and like actually communicating the intent and figuring it out together. Yeah. It's incredibly valuable.
1: And, and understanding how people communicate, you know, like Ryan and I were both incredibly sarcastic towards each other where I know if he walks up and he goes, your snare sounds like shit. I know my snare doesn't sound like shit. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah. It's a complete it, it actually usually or means he, it
0: sounds great you think yeah. you know that he doesn't <laughs> mean that <laughs> right
1: right how much wood
0: yeah but but here's the thing right is that if there's a problem i want to solve with e-man i will come up and i'll mention the problem yeah. and we'll figure it out yeah. right and we'll be clear about it but if i just come up and go hey man your snare sounds like shit it usually means I'm just messing with him because that's not actually a constructive, like figure out the solution type comment. Yeah. And I think, I think we figured out that like, if we actually have a problem, we need to be constructive about it. And we jump into that first. And then once we get to the end of that, I'll go, yeah, your snare sounds like shit. And that means we're good to go.
1: Yeah. And you know, I've had, (laughs) I've had experiences where there was a drum not working and the front of house guy came up and retuned it. And for me, that was like, yo, buddy, I would never get on your stuff. <laughs> and, and like, mm, I actually want 10 to one, <laughs> you know, right, like, right. like I would never do that. And I, and that to me was just like a, a failure of communication. A bit communication. of an overstepping the bounds to yeah, it's a just failure like you, communication. Yeah. You, you didn't communicate. You just said, I, I can't deal with this anymore. I'm going to take care of it. And that to me was like, I don't think it sounds bad. Well, the truth <laughs> is, that is, is that
0: the intent probably wasn't bad. No, The the about. intent really was just, there's a sound in my head that I want, and it's not coming off that drum. I'm going to come up and do it. Yeah. Right? But the truth is, the sound in the engineer's head is not necessarily the sound that the artist, the MD, the drummer who was hired to play that gig because of the way they play and the way mm-hmm. they sound. Yeah. You know, it, they. you need to be all on the same page. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I feel like engineers are
2: just like a a vessel that the musician's music are passing through, you know, you're not supposed to like taint it with lead. You're not like a lead pipe. You're like a, (laughs) so, so, so
0: let's talk about tainting (laughs) things. Right. And let's talk about it from the perspective of monitors versus front of house. Right. And when we talk about tainting things, I guess in this context, I'm talking about things like gating, parallel processing and stuff like that. Right. So being a front of house engineer, I, I gate pretty heavily on a lot of things right but i also know that from a monitor perspective you can't really do that because it affects the player so significantly Mm -hmm. that um you know you're not necessarily going to get the best performance so first how do we balance it okay so so from the perspective as a drummer you know what is it you want to be hearing in your in-ears yeah even considering the idea that what's coming out at house might be different. This
1: is a great question. This. Yeah. I like this question because I, I'm also very unique in the sense where I want my drums to not, not have anything at all and be completely raw or Mm -hmm. completely like processed to the point where it's like, uh, like with, I think you guys spoke with Malcolm at some point, right? Uh, I don't think speaking? we have yet. Okay. We're going to have to well, him on maybe, for an episode. maybe you just spoke to him about this. Yep. Uh, but, you know, uh, we 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 brought in, uh, I forget what the board is, but it's a badass board. And we were able to kind of throw the kitchen sink at it. And prior to that, I was like, no gates, <laughs> no <laughs> processing, nothing. Like, let's just, you know, we tried to throw on some saturation and it just kind of, I, I could feel the, the the 10 millisecond delay thing. So mm-hmm. I was like, let's just get rid of it. So mm-hmm. when we brought in this new board, I was able to say, okay, now, now let's you know <laughs> let's put the, an API 550 on everything, and this is what I want. I want like a 2k boost <laughs> here, or a, sorry, a 5k boost here at 2db. I want like you know, give me a hundred. I just went in because it's like, okay, this yeah. is what I have in my house. Yeah. I want it to sound the way it sounds in my and, head and Brendan, if you, if you <laughs> yeah. didn't
0: know he literally does have a bunch of 550 a's and and all that analog yeah and there's yeah. some nice he's, he's got kind of nice stuff
1: out. um but you know it's like um yeah so it it turned it turned into like okay let's 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 make this sound like a, a finished product um and you know we threw everything at it and it and it worked mm. you know sometimes it doesn't and sometimes you have to adjust because it's like oh man this kick out or this floor tom, since we're talking about toms and we put a bunch of 60 hertz on it and now like we're in a in a small club where like i hit the bass drum and that's all i feel in here so let's just <laughs> yep let's just let's just kill <laughs> let's just kill everything let's get rid of everything and you know i don't want to but i'm going to use one ear out because i don't want to overplay you right. know
0: mm-hmm. right
1: so the, the, it's just this constant ebb and flow of 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 adjustments especially when you're not playing arenas i feel like arenas can be a little more forgiving in that sense where you need the consistency of that Mm -hmm. but you know if you're playing a thousand cap place and then you're playing a five thousand cap place the next day drastically different.
0: different yeah
1: drastically different
0: so you know when an asshole like me shows up and wants to gate your toms and 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 your kick and snare how does that affect you as a player on stage? Like let's assume that, you know, the way I've set this up, it doesn't miss anything and it always opens at the right time. Yeah. How does that affect you on stage?
1: Uh I'm it's always in the back of my mind. Like, am I gonna hit this threshold? That's like or am I gonna hit something too hard? That's another thing too, where it's it's gonna clip. Um mm. how much headroom did this guy actually give me? Mm. Or gal. None. Or None. gal. You know, um, or, right. or, or you know, all that comes into play or like, oh, do I need to tune my drums up so they project a little more in the room without, without uh, any sort of assistance, you know? And uh, I think that's counterintuitive to the way most people would approach this. Like they, it feels so good to play drums that are like wet, sloppy towels, like it just does. <laughs> um, but often you have to, you have to, you know, kind of tune them up so you get, a better frequency response out of them, Hmm. you know, and then you can play with plugins and processing with that.
0: So Brendan, Mm -hmm. from the perspective of, you know, the engineer side of this, Mm -hmm. um, do you always gate your toms? Not, or is it kind of a majority of the time, less than majority of the time, you know, it's a, like, if it
2: really works out kind of decision, like game time decision, especially in like small venues, you know, I thro- so what's what's your intent when you do it? My intent is to like just reduce bleed coming from the stage, complete, like as much as humanly possible, mm-hmm. because right. I just I'm I'm especially if I'm in the venues I'm usually working in, you know, like 300 person places, like I need to get that vocal over the band, right? And that's my primary goal in that and situation. Mute the toms.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Drum group mute. Yeah, yeah, mute. Drum group, mute but dumb. basically,
2: yeah, like mute things that don't need to be open, right? Is like a way to
0: And that's effectively what a gate is anyway, yeah, right?
2: Exactly. Yeah. Mute it when it doesn't need to be open. And but sometimes it just like doesn't work for various reasons. Maybe the I don't know, like the drum itself doesn't have like a really strong transient or the mic, you know, the mic placement wasn't that great by me. My bad. Um, and, <laughs> no, no, no and but his yeah. bad, he moved it <laughs>
0: and,
2: and it's like okay we got to move we got to move okay like let's go let's go um, but uh, but yeah sometimes it just like doesn't work out and I get like if I'm using an analog gate maybe it clicks sometimes you know when it's closing right. and I'm like okay I'm just not going to deal with this like no gate like that's better than like struggling with it for you know I guess it's a time thing too. You know, if I have the time to dial it in, then I'll probably go after it more to get it just right. But if I don't have the time, then, you know, it's not worth it.
1: Um,
0: So, so that, that's a good point. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to
1: ask, uh, when, when you are gating something, Mm -hmm. are you, are you starting at a place? And by something, I mean, since we're talking about Tom's, just make this about all drums are you gating obviously to get rid of stuff, but are you coming in like, this is what I always do and then adjust from there. Or it's like, this is an, a, a, a brand new whiteboard. Let's start from the beginning. I mean, usually and I have does it like, even a, matter? an idea of where
2: it's going to be. Like if I throw a gate on it, I want the threshold like all the way open first. And I want the attack all the way fast. And yeah. then I'll probably have like, if it has hold and release, then I want like a medium hold and a medium release just to start with, you Got know? It. And then I dial in the threshold until I'm like, okay, I'm getting the full drum sound. And
0: and then I'll just, adjust just the, the release,
2: you know, yeah. the release and the hold. So. Well,
0: well, to kind of jump into what Brendan had said before, it's all a matter of time, right? Yeah. So if we have lots of time, you know, you can, you can go from scratch and kind of build everything out. But if you don't, you're generally optimized by kind of having preset a lot of it and then leave your threshold wide open, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So, you know, even you as drummer, you know general tonal aspects for certain drum sound, uh, drum sizes, uh, heads, that kind of thing. So I have in my head an assumption of what a 10-inch tom is going to sound like for the most part, with the exception of what's going to happen on the tuning side. Yeah. But it's going to sit somewhere close to where I've assumed. Same with the 12, 13, 15s, 16s, you know, all, all the way through. So... For me, when it comes to getting gates dialed in um, for a gig, I kind of have it all preset. I've got you know, a quick attack, just like Brendan laid out, quick attack, you know, reasonable hold, and a release time that aligns in my head with what a 10 inch usually should last for in time. Yeah. And then a separate setting for a 12, 14, et cetera, you know, all the other drums. Mm-hmm. And it's set so that most drums this will work fine for right, mm-hmm. and I have this preset with the threshold wide open, so it's not doing anything. And then you know, hit the drum. We'll kind of dial in the threshold till we get to a spot where it starts to close. And then where it actually matters for me is once the whole kit's being played, because that's mm-hmm. where the value comes in. Is that those mics stay closed when the whole kit's playing,
1: and you don't and it want opens to opens when those set things like this and yeah, exactly, open.
0: exactly, uh, yeah. yeah. And I, I think another
2: really important part of this that I, I try and do is. We've explained this before but have the lead vocal mic open and at gain level and have your overheads up pretty up much and on up and while on you're this. while you're doing the gating because like just a gated tom is not what you're going to hear ever like, right in the show. right it's right. the whole kit
1: together yeah. Yeah. and you guys and would and never gate overheads would you
0: No yeah it, it, I, I wouldn't unless, I mean, unless it was I'm like sure, a sure like a, um, cool like a gated thing like yeah. gated yeah. gated thing But, so, here's the thing, though. If you have the overheads up, and you actually have it reasonably hot in the mix, and you're actually using them for part of the drum sound, you can get away with dumber gate settings. Mm -hmm. And when I say dumber, I mean tighter. So, beyond just the bleed of the drums, you know, picking up other stuff going through it, um, if you have your toms feeding to a tom verb, now your bleed is feeding to that verb as well. And it makes things a lot messier. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, E-Man, when we were doing this tour, you know, a couple of years ago, I guess it was at this point, geez, it's like wow. 2020 just 20, disappeared. 20, yeah. That was like two years ago. It was
1: 2019, end of
0: 2019.
1: Wow. When we were
0: doing that, there's a bunch of songs in the set that are super Tom heavy yeah. and it's very like, um, kind of like anthemic Tom sounds. These yeah. big, massive, like, it almost sounds like Tycho drums type stuff, of course. right? In those sections of the set. I have a heap of verbs happening on those toms to make them sound like they're cavernous and all that, right? If I don't have ultra-tight gating, all it does is make the entire drum kit sound like it's in a cavern, Mm -hmm. right? So, for those moments and those sections, the gating might actually get even tighter. Um, Because you just want the transient. Yeah, because I want the transient to open this crazy reverb sound so that I get this kind of like pa sound every time and then you know when we get back to normal parts of the the set you know all those verbs turn off and those gates kind of you know get a little bit more normal so that you know i don't miss any any hits or whatnot but i guess i guess the point there is that your effects on those drums are also affected by your gating um i have known people to leave gates a little bit more open but put gates on the effect sends hmm. so that a reverb on, let's say, a tom doesn't actually, you know, trigger unless that tom is hit hard. But then if the tom is hit lightly, you get natural tom sounds, but you don't get this, like, you know, over-the-top reverb mm-hmm. sound. Wow,
1: that's which cool. Which is cool.
0: Um, so, you know, normally we would dig a little bit into, you know, EQ and things like that, but I think toms in general are just like
1: Everything there, in the middle. Get, each get each one is a little bit unique,
0: <laughs> but, you know, there's there's this bottom end that is kind of like the yeah. meat of it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this low mid-range that's, you know, tends to be a little bit ringy. Then you've got an upper mid-range that's like where you get that kind of papery sound, that like almost nasal sound. And then you got top end. And like the balance of where you want to be in all of those is so unique to the artist, to the situation, to the drummer, that I can't just say, Yeah, you just do this to a tongue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I imagine you feel the same there, Brennan. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, for
1: sure. Yeah. And, you know, in my studio, you know, again, a lot of my engineering, God, what did it sound like a douchebag saying that? Because I'm not an engineer at all. I just know how to turn up faders. But, like, a lot of the moves I make in my studio are are essentially to get rid of the gunk like right like again having that microphone so close to the head is not what i'm hearing by my ears and more often than not it's everything in the middle that sucks on a on a a floor tom on a rack tom even on a snare um you know it's 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 all this stuff you know that like (laughs) right (laughs) right it's just there because it's it's not in that's not the purpose and and you know, thank you for reminding me that drum sound best 10 feet away. <laughs> <laughs> they do.
0: And, and the truth is, you can get away with that in a studio by putting a room mic up. Yeah. yeah. But live, you just totally. can't do that. So, totally. of course, then the question becomes, you know, how do you solve that problem live? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's where things like reverbs come in, right? You're using these reverbs to try and emulate that distance, the, yeah. the standing a few feet away from the kit and the, the kit sound bouncing around the room and coming back at you. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. You know so actually along along those lines Brendan is there any particular effects you use on toms mm. I mean is there are there I I do I am particular to a, a subtle gated
2: reverb across like toms a little heavy like usually I said more from the snare and then just a little bit from the toms so that you know the general feeling there like you, just so you can barely hear it you know yeah. And like a tight one, like with no attack, you know, so it happens like right when the drum hits and it's kind yeah, of like underneath cool. and extends
0: and, it a little bit. And what that's really doing is emulating a room, right? It's all the early reflections coming back. Mm-hmm. And by having it be that short, you're kind of giving it that bit of space, but not giving it a long decay, mm-hmm. right? Correct. Yeah. Wow. I
2: just actually bought this effects unit. I used it the other day. Uh, you probably uh, the SPX
0: 90. You ever use those? Oh dude, it's one of the best. Yeah. They're so noisy. They're 12 bit, but my God, it is the it's best is reverb so- there is. It's so good. It sounds fucking
2: great. Like it's not How much you buy it for? Like a hundred bucks? Eh, somewhere around two hundred something. Yeah.
0: Dude, they used to go for like sixty bucks. Nobody cared. <laughs> and it was the best. Uh at that time I think I had like two or three of them, and then like one of them stopped working. But yeah, now they're they're more valuable than they used to be. We'll put yeah, it that way. They
2: have some like crazy gated Verb delay settings that just like pan shit around and like, yeah, it's fun. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, but actually, you know, speaking of that SPX unit, mm-hmm. um, live, I basically recreate what an SPX does. Um, and I will band pass my verb sends, Mm -hmm. because I don't need all this top end, everything above 5K, because it's not useful, right? And I don't need anything under, I don't know, 150, 200, because low-end reverb just makes it kind of muddy, and it's it's Mm -hmm. not helpful. All you want is, like, that middle bit to kind of have a little bit of length to it. So you band pass it, kind of like an SPX-90 does, and then I put it into a bit crusher that knocks it down (laughs) to, like, 12-bit. And by doing that, it, like, adds this little bit of, like, I mean, I guess it's technically distortion, but it adds this bit of mojo that Mm -hmm. makes that verb stand out a little bit Mm -hmm. and make it sound a little bit less natural, Mm -hmm. which is what an SPX-90 does. It's not like a natural room sound. Yeah, it's like like unnatural, but natural at the same time. Unnatural, but smooth. Yeah, yeah. So... I do stupid things like that, or sometimes add a little bit of overdrive on the send into it, or stuff stuff like that, just to kind of make it so it stands out a little bit. Yeah awesome. are there
2: Are there any other like typical things you do, Ryan, for toms?
0: Um, you know, I I know we've talked about you know my my overuse of reverb in other episodes with like you know like my vo- <laughs> the vocal episode. I think I was like, yeah, I've got like five reverbs, and I was like, what?
2: I um I I have like. I mean, I knew about this from like doing like studio productions and stuff, but typically, like lately, I've just been like setting up as many kind of reverbs and del- time delays, and just you know, actually going to zero on my send to them, but just bringing their f- their returns way down in the mix, and that just like, I mean, it's a changes, things, changes right? things a
0: lot without, but yeah, yeah, but 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 for me, I I do typically have multiple reverbs on a tom. You know, one of them is just to create a little bit of space. So it doesn't feel like it's a microphone one inch from a a drum. It actually maybe has a bit of room to it. So it's going to be some sort of room send, uh, super short. And then I have these various versions of an effects type reverb. And they're typically things like plates, because plates are the most audible, like the really obvious, here's a reverb, I'm doing this on purpose. And I'll use them for moments like I was describing before, that kind of like Imagine Dragons type like, over-the-top tom sound. Um, and I will put, you know, bandpass filters or overdrives on it to make it more noticeable. But if I'm trying to go for a natural drum kit, usually it's just that room vibe, that room verb, and that's it. Mm-hmm. But then the other stuff turns on for moments. Yeah. Things like where one hit just needs to be, like, over-the-top and feel cinematic. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, there might be a bunch of verbs there, mm-hmm. but you may only use, you know, one or two at a time.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a. So, a, oh, a, just to drop one more thing that I do sometimes is like running a parallel compressed bus of the toms and with reverb. And then just like, you know, when those big tom fills happen, you just crank that shit up. Ride that up. Yeah. Ride yeah. that yeah. up. Ride the verb return up. You know, that's always yeah. a good feeling. I, it's,
1: I know for, oh, for us, I, I don't know if you were doing it on this tour we were doing, but with another front of house guy that we had, um, I mentioned it before, but running drums through Torque through Waves Torque really mm-hmm. like. I don't, I didn't have them in my ears, but I could hear the difference in the room. It, it uh and and explain what Torque because I, I actually don't know what Torque is. I've never used it. Torque is the shit. So Torque is a it's a, it's a Waves plugin, and I mm-hmm. think it can run on a wave sound grid, right? Yeah. Or whatever yep. the Waves thing is. I don't know. Yeah. I'm a drummer, and uh, <laughs> I I remember like in that set there was a bunch of trap stuff happening like trap music and if i wasn't playing a, a pad i was playing like a really small snare and if i wasn't playing a small snare uh, i was playing the main snare and then the toms like needed to be like that uh, whatever and then and then the next song would be this big anthemic like right bulky, you know the polar opposite of trap and uh
0: but but I, just just to interrupt yeah basically torque lets you retune oh, yeah. live drum inputs in real time Right, yeah. it's basically a, a tuning thing where it takes yeah. the pitch and kind of modifies it to match a new tuning setting that you've set in it. Just
2: ahead, great uh, for everyone listening. If it's you know if we release this in time, it is on sale on the wave site. Right oh, now.
1: cool! <laughs> I don't even think I own it, but I need to. Not that I would. I would just tune my drums lower. <laughs> um, but in in the live situation, like I could hear like my snares going higher and my toms uh-huh. getting lower and higher, and it it. Um, it was awesome because it allowed me to be more versatile without actually changing anything. And uh, I, that's another one of those communication things where it's like, Hey, we have this technology. We should try to use it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, of course yeah. let's go. Cool.
0: No, that, that, that's an, that's an awesome, uh, it's an awesome tool to have. Um, and you have to you know, use it sp-
1: sparingly, right? Like, like if you well, go to the well, the, just
0: just be very intentional about what you're yeah. doing with it, right? You know, don't just use it because it's there, but you know, know what you're planning on and know what your goal is before you grab that tool and start tweaking with it, you know. And then I, I guess that jumps into the, the one of the last points we wanted to make before moving out of this whole realm is making sure that your toms sound like they are related to the rest of your drum kit.
1: Yep. Mm. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. You start doing crazy things and making your toms sound, you know amazing and epic if it doesn't sound like it's part of the same kit you take your listener out of that space that this is like one thing unless your goal in that moment is to make it on purpose sound like something crazy like as i was saying before these ideas of this like imagine dragons type like over the top drum sounds right mm-hmm. but when it comes to trying to make uh, a whole kit sound like one whole kit together um to me it's usually just about does the attack feel similar across all the different drums and does the meat of it feel like it's roughly in the same range across all the drums. And if you've got that balance together, then to me, it usually seems to work.
1: I agree. And, you know, again, I, depending on the artist, but you know, depending on the setting in the room, whatever, I always try to make sure my drums are tuned within themselves, sonically sound within themselves. So like if, uh, This, you know, if you get a backline kit and, you know, you're picky about your drum sizes, and so the rack tom's like a twelve by eight, and the floor tom is a fourteen by twelve, and an eighteen by sixteen or something, that's just going to be a weird interval to begin with. Like, just think about a guitar playing like, you know, a one and a seven. That's kind of what you're you're fighting against, you know, or a one and a six chord. Sorry, and so like you're you're sure they can work together in in the right key but when you're trying to make every song work <laughs> with all that stuff it's just going to be a lot more, more more work to get them to work <laughs> uh, so you're saying yeah. drums have like notes and stuff
2: like like no, they're they an don't. instrument no, they're no, not no, just they're... like a slap like if you're just like hitting something with a hammer
0: that's what they should be cool um, <laughs> that makes it easy for us you know <laughs> yeah. they should just sound like you're hitting a folding metal chair with a stick <laughs> I, th- that's the that's the Metallica Saint Anger joke uh, for two episodes in a row now.
1: Oh my gosh, I mean, but that that's a great drum sound. You know, nobody else can really make that work. Please know?
0: tell me you've seen the YouTube video of some dude like playing along to that, where he is actually just hitting a metal chair. <laughs> uh,
1: no, but I'm I'm.
0: Uh, if you haven't seen it, you better be looking it up right now because it is amazing.
1: I'm typing into the Google machine Saint Anger. It's Saint Anger. Metal snare,
0: Saint Anger metal snare. You'll you'll find it for sure. But anyways, um, I think that kind of covers most of what we wanted to hit in toms. Oh my gosh, wow. that was a great God fun. That it. was not uh, on purpose. God <laughs> damn it. it wasn't even on purpose. It was. Oh came out gosh. too well. <laughs> that was um, great. Anything else you you want to add, Eman Brendan?
1: Um, I look forward to the overhead stuff and and the rest of this. I I'm a fan. Like I found out about this. Because I forget if it was you or somebody I followed posted, it, I was like, oh, you know, there's always something to learn. So I'm, I'm into it, and I'm happy to, again, I wasn't happy that I was invited to chat about Tom's.
2: Next next time you work with a different engineer besides Ryan, you can just do it for them, you know? You just go up there.
0: No, next, next time you work <laughs> with a different engineer, that's not me. Just say, hey, engineer, go listen to this podcast.
1: <laughs> <laughs> learn something. Do you just know, know like, who Ryan John is? Hey, Ry- Sorry, I don't Ryan like double 1st people that yeah, Tom's exactly, are supposed to come exactly.
2: before overheads and hat and I think he's right about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, oh, thanks for listening. Hey,
1: Eman, and, do you have uh,
2: any uh like places where people links. can find you? pluggables?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um uh tint, no. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I I'm kind of on social media. I have Instagram. So uh drum away Eman would be my thing. Uh or, you know, if the world doesn't burn uh, we'll probably be on tour next year, which should be fun. Sounds good. Nice. Yeah.
0: And I believe I'll see you in a couple weeks at a show.
1: Oh. Somewhere where? in Hawaii, I think. Oh, wait. Is that is that happening? That's happening. We're going nice, to Hawaii.
0: Nice. Nice. <laughs> Not upset.
1: Not upset. Uh, that'll be a nice, fun flight. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Cool. Brendan,
0: you want to close yeah, this out? Yeah.
2: All right. You guys know. You can find us online we have a facebook group just search live sound Bootcamp, and you can also email us at feedback at live sound thanks for uh listening go like and subscribe leave a comment share it with your friends all that stuff
0: and we'll catch you at the next episode Thanks again to our sponsor, Rational Acoustics. Visit www.rationalacoustics.com for information on sales, training, and all things system measurement.